0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, My name is Penny and I'm the pastor here. If you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Um, If you've been, maybe this is your first Sunday or you've been attending for a number of Sundays and we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I would love to meet you and to uh, formally welcome you because we are glad that you are with us this morning. Um, And and as you join with us, uh, you are, if you are new to us, you are joining us at the very end of our summer series in the Psalms. So every single summer we come to the Psalms and the summer is ending. And so, uh, so too is this series. And we're going to conclude this summer by looking at Psalm 148. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 148 in a moment. The passage I believe will be projected on the screens in front of you so you can follow along there as well psalm 148 um now now as we've been looking at the psalms uh some of the things that we've talked about some of the things that i've said has been that the psalms one of the great things about the psalms is that they reorient us they reorient our minds our hearts our emotions they they restructure us around what is true and what is right what is good and what is beautiful You see, the Psalms meet us in our deepest of emotions and in the heights of praise. And the, the Psalms reform us. They change us and turn our gaze to the Lord. Because whether we are in the deepest depths of emotion or the highest praise, that is the one to whom we are to turn. And we are to turn to the Lord. We are to return to him again and again and again. And so the Psalms reorient us. And that's what Psalm 148 is doing but it's doing it in regards to praise. You see, this psalm is teaching us who it is that gives praise and the reason for our praise. So let's go ahead and follow along. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills fruit trees and all cedars beasts and all livestock creeping things and flying birds kings of the earth and all peoples princes and all rulers of the earth young men and maidens together old men and children let them praise the name of the lord for his name alone is exalted his majesty is above earth and heaven he has raised up a horn for his people praise for all his saints for the people of israel Who are near to him praise the Lord friends this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God let me pray for us Heavenly Father we thank you for your word and we acknowledge right now that we are in need of your grace of your leading of your directing father we need you to open our eyes so that we can see your beauty we need you to take us by the hand so that we would know which path to walk upon We need you to turn our hearts towards you and to fill our lips with praise. And so we ask that you would do that now and that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, a number of years ago, Kat and I had uh, the opportunity to spend a day in Boston. We were spending a long weekend in Maine and we decided... This was while we were still living in St. Louis. That while we were on the East Coast, we would drive down and spend the day in Boston and fly back from Logan. And we had never been to Boston before, and so we spent the whole day filled with touristy things. We walked the Freedom Trail, and we saw Paul Revere's house. We went to Old North Church and ate great pizza and, and went to uh, Mike's for cannolis. If you've ever had cannolis at Mike's, that, that was definitely worth it. Um, so, so we did all these touristy things, and we saw all these amazing sites, these historical places, and heard all the sounds of this urban city and that wonderful Boston accent. Right. These are the things that we expected to see, the history, the sounds we expected to hear. But as we we're going from place to place, as we were eating great food, as we were hearing different things, there was something that we didn't expect to hear that we did. See, I don't remember where we were going in. It was some historical building, maybe a church, a cemetery. I can't exactly remember, but, but what I do remember is that as we we're entering this building, a perfect stranger yells at us. He calls out. And what he called out, what he yelled was two words Go cards. <laughs> Go cards. Uh, you see, it was in the fall, it was October, it was a little chilly, and I was wearing my Cardinals hoodie. <laughs> And so he yelled out, Go Cards. And, and if you're not a Cardinal fan, you don't know the correct response, but the correct response when you hear Go Cards is to say it back to them. And so Kat and I turned to this perfect stranger and we yelled, Go Cards. <laughs> and we had this little connection. And it was that. It was amazing. I had never seen this person before. I've never seen him again. I didn't know where he was from, but for a moment, for a minute, he and I and Kat, we were connected. We were together. We were part of Cardinal Nation in the city of Boston. And we talked and we chatted and we engaged for just a minute, and he went on his way. We had this momentary connection. This momentary connection around something that was bigger than ourselves. And y'all know what this is like. You've experienced this before right? The, the feeling that we have when we engage with someone and, and we find out that they enjoy the things that we enjoy, that they love what we love, that we have this common affinity, right? We know the joy of being united by something that transcends place, of being united with perfect strangers around something that is good, right? Whether it's the cards or, or Jeep drivers as they flag one another down. As they, Did you know that if, Jeep drivers do this? So I have a friend who has a Jeep and when he drives and he passes another Jeep going through an intersection or at a stop sign, what he does is he, he waves to them, he nods his head. I don't know if they tell them this when they buy you know, like you're to do this, you know, when you get your Jeep, but but that's what they do, right? Because they feel this common affinity, this connection. We have this kinship with people when we find out they went to our same undergrad. Right, We're united to people around these common experiences. People in our city, in our country, maybe even around the world, united around an ideal or an experience. But you know, as much as we are united and as much as we feel this love and this affinity for one another around a sports team or a university it pales in comparison to the unity that we experience that is forged with those who praise the Lord. You see, regardless of your cultural status, regardless of the educational heights in which you have attained, whether you're rich or poor, male or female, black or white, we are all called to unite our voices together in praise of the Lord. That's what this psalm is all about. We heard it, didn't we, countless times. Praise the Lord. 11 times we are called to praise the Lord. 14 verses and 11 times it says praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And this isn't just a request. It's not just a nudge. It's not just the Lord saying, hey, this is a good idea. It's a command. You see, 9 of the 11 times that praise the Lord appears, it's an imperative. And so God is demanding. He is commanding that humanity would praise him. That our lips would be full of praise. In fact, because this is such an occurrence in this psalm and others like it, many commentaries refer to this psalm and the others like it as imperatives of praise. God's commanding us to praise. We see it in verses 11 through 13. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. So you hear it, don't you, that humanity is made to praise God. Kings and princes, rulers and peoples, men and women, the young and the old, all are made, we exist to praise God. Whereas the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it in question number one, what is the chief end of man? And it answers that we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is why we were created to give glory to the Lord, to praise the Father. And if you've been around the church, or if you've been through the Psalms this summer, then this shouldn't surprise you at all, right? I mean, the Psalms are filled with this language of praise the Lord. In fact, if you were to read ahead in Psalm one forty-nine and one fifty, we would hear that refrain again and again and again: praise the Lord. It shouldn't surprise us that God is calling us to unite our voices together in glory to him. But what might surprise us is who else we are united to in our praise. You see, it's not just humanity that God is calling to praise him, but that he is calling us to unite our voices together with even the heavenly beings. That heaven itself praises God. We see it in verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Angels join with us in praising God. Okay, so think about that. I, I imagine most of us don't think much about angels, right? We're Presbyterians, so we don't think about kind of the spiritual stuff as much, right? Maybe. But, but there is a spiritual world that exists around us. And there are angels and demonic forces that are existing. And what God is telling us is that these angels in heaven, that they praise God. And so maybe we don't think about them much. Maybe just at Advent and, you know, Christmas time when the angel Gabriel shows and speaks to Mary. And when we do think of angels, maybe we think simply of those cultural appropriations of angels, right? These cute little kind of chubby infant-looking creatures, right? They, they look like kind of these little beings we could hold in our arms, right? And kind of go, man, you're cute, you're safe, you're, you're cuddly, right? And they have wings maybe and some harps. That's, that's how our culture appropriates angels, right? Y'all have seen those pictures. But that's not how the Bible speaks of angels, You see, when when angels show up in the Bible, what is the refrain that they have to say almost every time they appear, whether it's before men or women or even beasts? Think about numbers with Balaam's donkey. What is it that the angel has to say? Do not fear. Don't fear. Why do the angels have to say that to man? Because when men come in contact with angels, they are scared out of their minds. They are terrified because angels in the Bible are terrifying warriors. That's actually what this language of hosts in verse 2 is getting at. You see, this word host refers to an army. And in fact, one of the titles that God takes on for himself is the Lord of Hosts, which is a military title. And so what we see is that these terrifying, angelic warriors are giving praise to God. And we see this praise from angelic beings throughout Scripture. Right? In Isaiah chapter 6, when the prophet Isaiah is in the temple ministering to the Lord, right, the seraphim, they show up with their six-winged creatures, right? And what do they say? They declare, glory, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then in Luke chapter 2, we jump ahead, right? And an angel comes and appears to the shepherds and says, Jesus has been born. The Messiah has come. And then the whole sky fills with the angelic host. And what do they proclaim with one voice? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And we jump again to the end of our Bibles. And in Revelation 4, we see those six winged creatures again. And now they declare, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You see, what we see throughout Scripture is that the angelic host of heaven is joining with God's people in praise, is giving glory to God. See, it's not just a little bit of praise. We're united with heavenly realms erupting into praise at God's presence, at his incarnation, at the end, and even today. The heavens are filled with the praise of God. And we're united with that praise. But what's amazing is that that uniting of praise between man and the heavenly beings, it extends into the earth as well. You see, there's the praise of earth. We see it in verses 7 through 10. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. The psalmist is speaking to the created order and calling creation itself to give praise to God. So think about that. I don't think we often think about creation in those ways. See, we think about creation, I think, purely, or, or often purely, in utilitarian ways, right? Creation exists for man's use. Trees and animals and land and water, like, they're there simply for us to develop and to cultivate. And that is absolutely true, right? We, we are given in Genesis, we are Genesis 2, we are given responsible dominion over the created order. And we even see that in some psalms. But sometimes we can reduce creation to only a place of dominion or to merely utility. But what this psalm is teaching us is that creation exists more than just for man. It exists to praise its creator. This psalm is giving us a robust vision of praise, a praise that is ingrained in the very fabric of creation. And we actually sung of this already, didn't we? Our opening hymn, all creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Right? It's not just you and me, creature, creation, creation all creatures of our God and King, right? Thou burning sun, thou silver moon, thou rushing wind, thou rising morn and lights of evening, find your voice flowing water and fire bright. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. The creation itself explodes in praise of our God. See, the psalmist is giving us a new way to see. You see, maybe... Maybe the sounds of the leaves rustling in the wind. Maybe they're not just rustling. Maybe maybe it's the trees applauding their God. And the dolphin jumping out of the water. Maybe, Maybe it's the creation standing in ovation for its creator. And maybe the bird that sings its song is giving praise for her maker. You see, praise, friends, is not limited to men and women. It is not limited to the angels. The creation itself joins with us in praise. In one unified song, singing of the glory of God. And we enter into this chorus of praise that echoes from heaven and rumbles throughout the earth and explodes on our lips. We do this because of God's glory. You see, the reason we praise God is because of his glory. We see it in verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth and heaven. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Okay, so I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think about just just the most beautiful scene you've ever experienced. We've all had these occasions right, where we've, we've been standing somewhere, we've experienced something, and we're just in awe. We are overwhelmed with glory, right? Maybe it's standing on one of the many mountaintops around here and looking over the valley. Or maybe it's standing on the beach at the, the edge of the ocean and watching the sun rise. Maybe it's looking into the face of a newborn baby or seeing a husband and wife who have just been united in marriage. But we've all had those experiences, right? So I want you to remember one. I want you to think about one of those times when you have experienced near perfection, beauty, and glory. You know, when I think about this, I, I think about some, uh, a picture that I saw just this week. See, many of you know that I had the privilege of presiding over Daniel and Beth Patton's wedding uh, last weekend. Now, they've been on their honeymoon, so I didn't get to ask them if I could talk about them. So, I think they'll be okay, though. But I got to do their wedding. And immediately after their wedding was over, Beth posted a picture on social media. And it's a wonderful picture. It's glorious. It's, it's Beth and Daniel. They're standing there, and they're facing their, their friends and their family. And Beth has this amazing smile on her face. Her whole face is lit up, right? She is joyous, and she's celebrating. And and you look at it, and you can't help but think, that's beautiful. But to make it even better, there's Daniel standing, holding her hand. And he's not looking at their friends and family. He is looking with infatuation and joy at his bride. He, too, has this beautiful smile. And when you look at it, you can't help but think, beauty. You can't help but praise that picture and praise that moment and praise their marriage and all that it would symbolize. We praise what is beautiful and what is glorious, what is joyous. C.S. Lewis said that the enjoyment, that there is enjoyment that spontaneously overflows into praise. He said that the world rings with praise. A lover praising their beloved, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise for weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles. (laughs) It's amazing. Even some politicians or scholars the world rings with praise. When we experience beauty and wonder and amazement, right, those, mi- those images we just thought of, right, standing on the mountaintop or the ocean or the infant or the wedding or that rare beetle. <laughs> when we experience something beautiful, it creates praise in us and rightfully so. But y'all, what is amazing is that as beautiful as those things might be, God is more beautiful than they. God is more beautiful than they are. That's what the psalm says in verse 13. His name alone is exalted, His majesty is above the heaven and the earth. God is more glorious than the greatest glories of heaven and the greatest glories of earth. And that's why we praise Him. He is beautifully glorious. His name is exalted above all others. That's what the psalmist declares. And that's what Philippians 2 tells us. Because in Philippians 2, the apostle Paul says that God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, friends, there is no other name. There is no one else that we exalt. Not a president or a politician, not the wealthy or the educated, not the young or the old. The name that we exalt, the person we glorify is the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the creator God. He is the one that we praise because of his glory and because of his glory that is revealed in his salvation. It's where the psalm ends in verse 14. The psalmist says, He has raised up up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who who are near to him, praise the Lord. Now that word horn might seem strange to us. Because when we hear the word horn, our minds, the images that might come to our minds are the horns of a beast, right? Like a ram's horn. Or maybe we think about like the sounding of the horn, like a trumpet call, right? That's where our minds might go. And rightfully so, at times throughout Scripture, this word is used in that way. But, but this word can also speak specifically of the one who brings salvation. You see, in First Samuel chapter 2 and Ezekiel 29 and Psalm 132 verse 17, that is how this word is used. It's speaking of salvation. For instance, in that Psalm 132, God says, I will make a horn sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. You see, the language of raising up a horn for God's people is speaking about raising up the promised king who was to come from the line of David. The horn of salvation is Jesus. He is the horn of salvation. I mean, think about how it's used in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 1, you remember uh, the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah and says, your wife, Elizabeth, she's going to bear a child. And and Zechariah can't believe it. And so because of his doubt and his disbelief, the angel makes him mute. Right? For nine months, he's mute. So think about that for a second, y'all. Nine months, he couldn't... Like, some of us have trouble going like two minutes. (laughs) Right? (laughs) We even talk in our sleep. We can't stop talking. Right? But for nine months... His tongue was mute. And then the son was born. The son was born and he pulls out a tablet and he writes that his name will be John. And they name him John and his tongue is loosed. And what does he do once his tongue is loosed? He erupts into praise and he sings. And he sings not just of John, but he sings of the one who would come after John. The one to whom John was a forerunner of. He sings... God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Zechariah uses the exact same phrase, he uses the same language, the same theme, to celebrate, to praise that salvation has come. You see, the horn that's been raised up, the horn of salvation is God's son. It is Jesus himself. And y'all, that's why we praise him. For the salvation that he's bestowed on us through his work on the cross. The salvation that we are in need of that has come. And y'all, when we have experienced that grace, when we have known that salvation, we don't just give a little bit of praise. We don't just whisper it with our mouths. We, we don't just tuck it away in our hearts. We erupt in praise. We celebrate that salvation has come. When we've experienced it, we declare to kings and peoples, to princes and rulers, to young men and maiden, to old men and children, we, we call them to join our voices together with the heavenly host in praising God, to join their voices together, to unite their voices with ours in the creation itself because salvation has come. That's what we're told in Romans chapter 8, that the creation itself is longing, it is groaning, For the redemption of men. That is longing for the day when Jesus will return and he will consummate the salvation that he has won for us. That the creation itself is longing for that day. And that day is coming. The day when Jesus will return and the salvation that he began will be consummated And we will join with one voice in singing praise to him. And he will be our God and we will be his people. Verse 14 tells us that the people of Israel who are near to him will praise him. And y'all, we will be near to him. Because we will dwell with him for all eternity. And in that day, our voices, the voices of heaven and the call of creation and the song of man will be the song of praise. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you that you are the God of our salvation. You are the one who created the heavens and the earth and all that they contain. You are the one who has put it on the lips of children and infants and men and women to praise you. And so I pray that that is what we would do this day and all of our days, that we would praise you with our lips, with our minds, with our hearts and our hands, with our entire lives, that we would praise you from now into eternity because you are the one deserving of our praise. So, Father, make us aware, make us knowledgeable, make us filled with joy at the salvation you have given us so that your people would praise you. And we pray in Christ's name and God's people said together, Amen.